Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, yeah, just a reminder of that with the prayer and worship. This is one of the unique opportunities that we get to worship together as a family. I would just strongly urge uh, you guys to go to that on Tuesday. It's at 7 o'clock. We're actually going to have some snacks out beforehand if you want to come and hang out in the lobby, and then we'll go in together. And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much it with that. If you need a Bible, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. we got plenty of those um, to hand out to you guys. If you already have a Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, if I haven't uh, gotten the opportunity to meet you, um, I'm Pastor Jeff. I get the honor of overseeing uh, the junior high ministry, but I get an honor of being a part of this amazing uh, youth team. Uh, Hayden is gone this weekend. He is out in Bend doing Bend things, um, hiking mountains, uh, riding bikes, and whatever Hayden does. Uh, but something about, hey, I just want to say to you guys, you guys have an amazing pastor, amen? He's a, he is a dude that cares. Yeah, let's give it up for Hayden, even though he's not here. We love you, Hayden. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that we've been going through in the high school, as well as, um, as a church body as a whole, is we've been diving into these uh, very deep and very relevant topics of depression and anxiety um, and suicide. And many of you know we've been going through this uh, series, Not Alone, which I, I can't tell you guys how relevant and how fitting a title could be to a sermon um, as that, because you aren't alone no matter what you may feel. Um, I think it's, it's so much up to us and such a major step in overcoming things like depression and anxiety is the ability to step into the light and the ability to reach out for help around us. This is not something that is just for some people. Depression, anxiety are not just things for a certain amount of people who are struggling with life. It's something that we will go in and out of seasons. It could be something clinical that we're going through. You know, honestly, right now, I'm actually going through counseling. I've been going through counseling. I've been dealing with sadness and frustration and anger that I needed some professional help with. My counselor's name is Dan. He's a nice guy. He actually does this thing. He goes, hmm, a lot when he talks. And everybody go, hmm, with me. Hmm, yeah. He kind of, he, his voice starts high and then goes low. It's, it's a counseling thing, I think. So, yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny even just, uh, you know what, going through it, I, I, it's so funny because a lot of the discussions that we have when I'm expressing something or I'm feeling something or telling a story of something that I haven't reconciled with in my life and I don't know how to, a lot of it comes back to this place where he reminds me and he'll even speak back to me things that I'm saying and just remind me, you know, you're being really harsh on yourself. You know, that's a natural emotion to feel about that situation. You know, it's not, it's not unheard of that a human being would be angry about that. And I'm like, you know what? That's right. And it's almost empowering in a sense because I realize that my sadness, that my frustration, that my anger, that the things that I'm going through are not just things that I'm going through by myself. Amen? That there are things that other people are feeling, that there are things that we're all wrestling with together. In fact, I think so much of it is disarming shame and isolation. It's such a battle that we all face amidst 
addressing the anxiety and the depression, that around it resides this wall of shame, us ashamed that we would even feel that way or a feeling of shame like we're subhuman in a sense for feeling that and then isolating ourselves even more because we don't want people to figure out how we feel. So we're getting through that wall to the very roots of the things that are hurting us. Um, We face an enemy and an attitude that would do anything to keep us from reaching out for help in our society. We face a culture that rewards and esteems the strong, which means that we're afraid to be the weak. Amen? Whatever that may be in your life, I want you guys to know that we love you so, so, so much and that we're thankful that you're here. And if you can't be open here, you can't be open anywhere because this is the house of God. This is his place for you to be safe. Amen? So this morning, I want you to open to 2 Corinthians 1 if you haven't already. This is actually going to be the final part of the series before Hayden leads us in a Um, a different series next week. But one of the things that I appreciate a lot about the Bible when speaking about anxiety and depression is that the Word of God doesn't shy away from these topics. From beginning to the very end of the text, you see example after example of these sorts of dark places that people may find themselves. But you also see the Lord speaking into it. You see people finding healing. You see people finding breakthrough in the Word of God, which is why it's so important for us. If you're someone that is experiencing depression and anger, that look no further than the Word to find people who are going through the same thing, but I've also found um, healing and peace, the promise of peace through that. And in 2 Corinthians 1... It dives into a letter. A lot of us know who Paul the Apostle is. If you don't know, Paul was someone who founded churches. He was a pastor. He was someone who started churches on his own. But he had a knack and a spiritual gift for founding those churches. And he would found them in different areas. And the way that he would lead them and pour into those churches and take care of them was by writing them letters. So it would be like Hayden writing you guys a letter, giving you instructions about where you're at and what the Lord wants to do. That's essentially what we're doing when we're reading 2 Corinthians, is that we're looking at Paul doing that to the church at Corinth. And this is how he starts the letter. It's a long letter, but this is how he would start it. Verse 3, join me. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about all the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Can you say amen with me? 
I love, I'm geeking out over Paul in this for a lot of different reasons. Because whatever you think about church and whatever you think about how church should function, the best way to understand what church should be like is by looking at the scriptures of how church was. This is one of the earliest churches led by one of the founding fathers. And what do we see when we look at this? First, in a letter that is read to the entire church, the first thing he would talk about is sufferings and comfort. He says, praise be to the God of all comfort who helps us in all of our troubles. Well, whose troubles? Everybody has troubles in this room. And even those within the church have troubles that God wants to bring comfort for. That's why he says, even in our own distress, it's for the sake of your comfort to know that you're not alone. And when you're comforted, God has entrusted something to you to be able to give to those people that are around you that are distressed and suffering themselves. And then this is what I love most of all about this passage. He is not just someone who stands on a stage. He's not someone who would just write down and say, well, this is the kind of comfort that we need to have in our distress. He goes, I don't want you guys to be uninformed, is what he says in verse 8. He says, don't be uninformed. This is how me and all of the other leaders in the church are doing. We were in Asia. We were overwhelmed to the point of death by what we went through. Paul is just spilling before them this idea that I felt like I was about to die. I felt like we received the sentence of death and there was nothing more that we could do. We felt hopeless in this situation before us. For whatever reasons, whatever was going on, Paul doesn't shy away from the fact that he is struggling, that he is depressed, that he is dealing with something in his heart, and he opens up to the church about it. What a beautiful picture of what we are supposed to look like as God's family. Amen? And then he does something else. He doesn't just stop there. He goes, but this happened so that we would rely on God who delivered us through this darkness. And he says, and he'll deliver us again and again and again. And he says, and this is actually for your encouragement to know that when you fall into a place of darkness, when you fall into a place of anxiety or depression, that you have a God that can deliver you and bring you out of that. And make no mistake, this morning, wherever you guys find yourselves, You have a God that can deliver you from where you're at. Amen? Believe that over yourselves. I have two really simple points this morning. The first one is that Jesus makes a way for you to open up about your deepest, darkest hurts and pains. This is something I've been kind of a reoccurring theme throughout this series that you have a place for yourself to open up. You have a place to reach out in your lives about some of the things that you're going on. You are constantly battling thoughts and feelings, an enemy, a culture, and an attitude that would try to keep you, give any excuse for you to reach out for help. Well, no, I I really shouldn't. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. And we all need people in our lives. First, it starts with Christ himself. Christ has made himself available to each and every one of us through the things that we went through. You know, the word would go as far as to say that during Jesus' earthly life, that he experienced, it says this in Hebrews 4, that he experienced all the same feelings that you're going through right now. And what that means is that the depression, the anxiety, the thoughts of wanting to take your own life are all things that Jesus himself felt in his own life. Jesus' heart was broken time and time again, and Jesus had to reconcile it just like we have to in our own lives. So you don't have a God that's looking at you and going, what? You're depressed? Oh, you're struggling with this still? What's wrong with you? 
You have a God that actually fills up with compassion because he goes, I get it. I know how you feel. In fact, the Bible would take it one step further. It's, it's kind of funny. In Hebrews 12, it says, in your struggle against sin and in this world, it says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. It's almost like this backhanded information saying, you know, you serve a God that struggled so much that he had to pour out his blood. Not many of us have had to pour out our blood necessarily in the same way that Jesus did. And so not only do we have a God that understands, but oftentimes his suffering exceeds ours. And so when we say there's no way to overcome this, Jesus would come forward and say, what I suffered was far greater than what you're suffering right now. And yet I overcame. And so can you if you come to me. In Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus, it would go as far as to say that by his wounds, we are healed. And I don't think that's just talking about the physical wounds. I think it's talking about the deep, emotional, maybe even traumatic wounds that have happened in your life. That by Jesus' physical and emotional wounds, we have been healed before him. And that remains true today. It remains true in this room right now. Amen. We have a God who has made a way for us to open to him. But also we have a people that we can open up to. We have people in this room that we are meant and destined to open up to. Now, what that means is this. It doesn't mean that you come up on the stage and go, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm struggling with suicide. That's not what accountability or what living in community looks like. But accountability in community is this. It's having people who are invested in your life and love you unconditionally like Christ that are investing in you. And I know that all of us are in a place in our lives. How many have ever heard, well, you just need good friends in your life, you know, from your parents or things like that. You're like, oh, good. I was trying to have bad friends, mom. Thank you. You know, all of us know what it's like to be in that place where we're trying to bring in the right friends into our lives and it can struggle and things like that. But the fact of the matter is we're all in a place where we're building community around us, but we're also being community to people around us who we have people that we're meant to open up to and to share with. Israel, a pastor Israel is one of my closest friends that I would open about everything to and vice versa. He's someone that I trust in my life. Who are the people that you have in your life that you are accountable to? And when I use that word accountable, I know that can have a negative kind of tone to it where you can think, well, you just need to open up every time you sin. That's not necessarily accountability. That's one part But accountability is just sharing your entire life with someone around you. And the fact of the matter is, all of you were made to share your lives with people around you in true relationship. That's why Jesus would have 12 people around him and share everything with them. Jesus would even say at the Last Supper, he says, I don't call you guys servants, even though I'm God and you're not. He says, I call you friends because you know everything about me. Jesus was vulnerable to the people closest to us because that's how he made us to be, was to be close. Who are the people that are closest to you that you could tell everything? And who are the people that are truly going to be friends to you and leading you to Christ? See, there's a lot of things that happen when you begin to speak about the things going on in your life. One of them, actually, it's scientifically proven that when you voice something in your life, you feel a sense of relief. You've been holding on to this secret. You've been holding on to this feeling that you feel like disqualified you from being a human being. And the minute that you share it, you're like, oh, wow, I did it. You know, like, it wasn't as bad as I thought. The other thing is that you break isolation. 
And you can build community with that. Because the minute that you begin to share about your own hurts and pains with the people around you and with God, you begin to realize that you're not the only one going through it. You struggle with that too? Oh, yeah. I've been struggling with that. I would have never guessed. I see you come to church. You look like you have a great time. How, how could you possibly? I just am. Wait, you too? And all of a sudden, people just start coming out of the woodworks, and you realize that, oh my word, we are all struggling with the same things. And that's what makes us human, and that's what makes us family. It's not that we're perfect, it's that we're imperfect, and that we pursue Jesus together in our own hurts, and our own things that we need healing, and we help each other to do that. I believe wherever you feel like you're at this morning, that there are people in this room that can help you know Jesus better by simply having them invest in your life. But it begins with being intentional. And it begins with investing not only in the honesty portion, but also the trusting portion. Actually, this is one of the things that happens with community. It gives you a great opportunity to start trusting God on a deeper level. This is one of the things that I want to talk about more in depth this morning because Jesus makes a way for us to open up, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be transparent with the people around us. And that is so, so important. If you are not opening up or you haven't reached out for help, please do it. We we love you guys. Your leaders love you. Your friends love you. But not only do we have an opportunity to open up about things, we also have an opportunity to walk out of that brokenness. See, you not only have a community to open up to, but you have a community to move forward with out of it. And the first point, Jesus makes a way for us to open up, but the second point is Jesus makes a way for us to get out of it. See, I remember, how many of you guys know um, the house that's across campus? It's a residency house. It used to be called the college house. I still call it the college house. Let's go, Kayla. Um, Also, that's Amy Buck, the one who (laughs) laughed right there. Um, we, uh, it was a house where about 10 to 12 people would live. Um, they would go to school. They would serve in the college ministry. When you share a lot of space, a lot of weird things happen. Amen. You all realize this when you go to college and you're like, oh, I like this person. I want a room with them four months in. I don't want a room with them. And there's this kid. His name's Jonathan. Let's say Jonathan. I love Jonathan. Jonathan, um, decided to bring home some bread. Um, Jonathan buys bread. This sounds like a children's book. Uh, Jonathan buys this giant loaf of bread, and we have this uh, closet that's in our kitchen, and there's different shelves, but there's like a secret shelf that's on the top that no one ever puts anything up there. And for some reason, Jonathan decided to put it up there. Jonathan forgets about the bread. Months go by, and we're like walking through the kitchen. You know, you sort of smell something, but it's a bunch of college students, so you're going to smell something everywhere. And so after a few months, we're like, you know what? That doesn't smell like anything that just happened. What is going on? And we start to search the entire house. It's, the closet is also right next to the main room, and there's like a little doorway. and then there's a, So we're like walking around. And we're trying to figure out, we're going through stuff. We start cleaning everything in the house because we're like, oh, it was that. It was that. It was that person who left their shoes by the door. That's what it is. We put it away. But it still smells. We're like, oh, you know what? Someone hasn't cleaned or someone left this food in the closet. We throw away that food, but we still smell it. And we're like, we don't get it. 
we eventually thought there was like a dead animal in the wall. And we were like, Lord, please no. Um, and this goes for days. For days, our house just smells and we're trying to figure it out. And eventually, someone finally figures out, what is this bag up here? And you can't see it and you pull it. And it's just this black loaf with just liquid around it. And we're like, yeah, I think we figured it out. (laughs) Throw it away. Everything was fine and we lived happily ever after. Amen. We all, you know, knew something was wrong and we did everything that we could to address it. And in the process, we found other things that also smelled and got rid of it. But yet, something in us knew that that wasn't the thing until we found it. We didn't know what it was until we decided to get to the root of it. You know that depression and anxiety can be similar in that way, that there are roots, there are things that cause us to be depressed in our lives that we don't know about, that are things that we have to learn. Also, did you know that depression doesn't have one source? That brokenness has many fathers? That there are many things that could contribute to to us? You know, it's funny, I know that in my own life, there have been times where I cried out to God, I said, Lord, why am I so depressed? As if it's this one emotional thing, as if there's something wrong with me, when really there was just something I needed to address in my life that was causing me to be depressed. You want to know what one of the greatest sources of depression is in our day and age for youth? You ready for this? Pornography. Pornography is by far the greatest causer, and it's scientifically proven. Did you know that when you are looking at pornography or any neurochemical drug, that it just raises your levels of dopamine because you're being so stimulated. That's what causes the addiction. But what happens is everybody has a baseline in their lives. Everybody feels good when they eat or when they go do something fun with friends. But when that gets super raised up, it raises your rate so that everything else in your life just becomes less enjoyable. You're just kind of depressed in your life. But that, that's your high, and that's the only place you get happy, which is why you keep going back to it. So isn't that interesting that maybe a source of depression for you is just you need to address your pornography addiction. And we would love to partner with you in that if that's you. We understand. We've walked that road. I've walked that road. Did you know that technology is another source of depression? That it gives the impression that you're in community, but you're really not. You're in a community where you're constantly trying to prove yourself. And what happens is in that gap of feeling like you're close to people, but they don't really accept you for who you are, depression just reigns. So isn't that interesting that a source of depression isn't something emotional with you? It could just be something that's in your life like technology. Did you know success could be a source of depression? That's one of the major ones in our day and age. You begin to idolize success in your life, whether it's how you look or the things that you do. And the problem with that is the minute that being perfectly successful at something becomes your baseline for being accepted, everything in between that becomes depressing because you know you don't measure up. And you know that even when you do measure up, that you won't fully make it. One of the players that I'm uh, coaching tennis right now, he's agnostic. Um, He's not a believer. I actually had a really cool opportunity to talk to him and share my story, talk about the gospel with him. And he had a lot of questions. He said, well... How do you know that your way is right over, say, Islam? Or what about other religions? What about their texts? What about... So we begin an intellectual discussion. And don't get me wrong. There are real intellectual answers that point to Jesus. But it was funny because days later, I hear from another one of my friends that that same guy walked up to him in tears going, 
I can't go on anymore. He said, I'm going to take my own life. I, I'm so dark, I'm so depressed, and I'm so empty. And this was after one of the best tournaments that he had in his entire life. And I feel for him because so often we think that Jesus is this intellectual answer of right and wrong. But really, Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our freedom in our life. He's not just something that's right, oh, and happens to bring that. Jesus is the only source of life to us, and without that, there's hurt. Only Jesus can bring that, and until we get to the roots of it, could we really begin to find joy in our life. So, I know that for myself, I've had a journey of feeling inept, a failure, or forgotten as a person. I felt that in different seasons and different times of my life, but often it comes back to the same source. It comes back to a place that I have to address in my life. Once I've addressed it once, it becomes a lot easier to address because I'm aware of it. But that doesn't mean I don't have to just check the box and it will never happen again because we're all fallen. All of us have things in our life. All of us have sources of brokenness, anxiety that are hurting us that we get to address. And it's different. I can't stand up here and look at you and tell you what's going on in your life or tell you all what's going on because we're so all uniquely and beautifully made. The truth of the matter is, until we decide to stand and say, I want to address, or I want to at least try to learn about it. That was one of the reasons why I went to counseling. Some of us are self-diagnose ourselves, but you don't know what you don't know. Amen? And so it helps to have people getting into your life who can understand you better to speak into those things. Uh, but until you make that decision, even if you go to counseling, even if you have the right people in your life, if you're just saying, well, I just need to open up about it, but you're not willing to change or you're not willing to trust or try something different based on biblical direction, it may just amount to nothing. It may just say, well, if I'm just open, if I just tell people about it, but you're not willing to make the change, you're still going to live in the hurt. You're still going to be in that place. And so it's different than just opening up. It begins with opening up and it resides in opening up, but it resides in us of having a heart of saying, I want to get to the root of maybe why I feel this way in my life, and then I want to address them, and then I want to change them. You know, because of my own depression, that changed a lot of the ways that I looked at purity throughout my life, sexual purity, as well as the way that I handle my own phone. It changed the way that I treat my friends and the ways that my friendships work, because those were all places that God opened my eyes to say, there's not a lot of joy and there's not a lot of freedom in those areas that he can bring if I listen to him about how to have friendships, how to use my phone, how to use my purity, and all sorts of things. All of us find ourselves in places where we get to make the decision to be honest, but we also get to get down to the root of it. You know, Lane talked about something last week that was really profound. He actually said that depression is, in a sense, hopelessness. And I would just say to you that if depression is hopelessness, then the road out of it is learning where to find real hope in our lives. You know, the Bible talks a lot about what hope is. It's defined as something to trust in, to wait for, to look for, to desire something, or to expect something beneficial in the future. So it's saying that I'm banking on this. Would you guys say amen to the fact that sometimes we put our hopes in something that aren't very good? I know I do all the time. I'm hoping for this. If this happens in my life, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel validated as a person. When really, that has no bearing on my life. That isn't a really strong foundation at all. 
The Bible would say in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Isn't that interesting? What is that sickening your heart? That's anxiety. That's depression. That's those things that we just talked about. That when you put your hope in things that come to nothing, in fact, in the Bible, it would go as far as to say the wicked man says, all their hopes will come to nothing. Why? Because their hopes are nothing but things of this world. They're nothing but things that really have no foundation at all. That's why Jesus would say his words are like a rock that's in the sand that's firmly built that will remain forever. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew you know, 24, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word never will. It's because the hope of Jesus is something so much stronger, so much greater that you won't lose that and that void of hopelessness will come. In any other thing in our lives, when we put our hope in it in a way that was meant for Jesus, when it breaks, that's where depression and the void, just like we talked about, depression is hopelessness. And that's where it comes forth. But in Hebrews 6, 19, it would say of the gospel, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Amen? I have a, I'm going to invite the worship team back up, but I want to ask you a question. This is not a question that you, you could answer this one way, but this isn't for me. This isn't for any of the leaders around us. What are the things you're really hoping for in this life? What are the things that you really want to happen? That's not to say, oh, well, I want to be a perfect Christian. No, don't, you don't, you don't need to fool anyone. You know, if you want to, you want to pursue Jesus, but maybe you're like, you know what? I want to be really good at this in my life. Or, you know what? I want to have a really healthy marriage. Oh, you know what? I want to go to this college or I want to be really successful in this way. That is okay. And that is good. But what begins to happen is you can begin to recognize areas where you're putting your hope in and begin to adjust and address them in certain ways because you can hope for a great marriage, but if you say, I'm only a good human being if I have a good marriage, then what's going to happen when it feels like it's not going well or it doesn't happen? That's where depression, self-hatred comes in because you're like, oh, I don't have that. I'm not validated. I must be despicable. So what are the things that you're really hoping and passionate about in this life to see happen? That's a question I want you guys to think about this week.